Hello, everyone. Welcome to Going With The Flow. My name is Natalie Dragota. And I'm Ryan Nolan. And today we will be discussing three topics that we talked about in some of our recent blog posts. The website for our blog is red.projecttoronto.org. And if you like any of the issues that we're talking about today, feel free to go on there and check them out so you can get a bit more of an understanding of the topics we'll be covering today. So this is actually our first episode of Going With The Flow, so please bear with us as we might be a little slow, we're a little new to this. No, we're just working out the kinks. There you go. Getting our own flow, so to speak. Yes. Our episode will be bi-weekly, so it'll kind of flip-flop between Phil and Haley's podcast and then ours. So we do have some big competition to try to keep up with the topics they'll be covering, but we'll do the best that we can. So, did you read our blog post that was posted on January 8th on femicide in Canada and all around the world? I skimmed it. I don't know if I read it front to back, so maybe you could kind of expand on that a little more and give me a better understanding. All right. So, femicide is the gender-based killing of women at the hands of men. It appears to be rooted in many different areas of the world, Canada included. It is important to know that even though more men are killed yearly in homicides, more women die at the hands of men every year. I, I did not know that. When I was reading the article, a fact that really kind of stood out for me was that 83% of the victims Victims of spousal abuse are in fact women. So you want to talk about how that population is overrepresented. That that's a pretty staggering number. As well, approximately every six days in Canada, one woman is killed by her intimate partner. So it's not as if it's not an ongoing issue. It's something that we deal with on almost a daily basis. So yes, yeah, so you can actually go to the Canadian femicide map that's available online, and you can see all the femicides that occurred in 2018 in every province. You can see their name, their age, where they live. And the largest number of femicides that occurred in 2018 was actually in Ontario, Quebec being the second highest. Yeah, I'm just taking a look at the map now for the first time and just to kind of look at the scale of it. And it's not as though this is like over the last 10, 20 years. This is all from 2018, if I'm correct. So just to see that this gender-based violence is still a very much a occurring issue in our society is, like I said before, staggering. So there's actually a very large cluster of femicides that occurred in our area, which is the GTA. The largest amount that occurred in Ontario was in Brampton, Toronto, Hamilton, and the general Toronto area as well. When you look at the map, the link is on our blog, on our website. It's very apparent that this is not a localized issue. It's something that's happening in every corner of the country, and I would say it's happening at a rate that is troubling, and it should be on the front page of every newspaper, but I don't think it's being talked about nearly enough. I definitely agree with you. I had no idea that it was this prevalent in Canada, uh, let alone Ontario, where we live. And a very interesting point to also talk about is towards the more western regions of Canada, Canada, a lot of the femicides that occurred were close to reservations or on reservations.
conditions. So indigenous women and girls are dramatically overrepresented in the missing population of Canada, as well as murdered population of Canada. And this has a lot to do with their intersectional identity, being both female, as well as indigenous, as well as some of the colonial undertones still prevalent in Canadian society. Yeah, so once again, we find Aboriginal women in particular are overrepresented in a category that experiences a lot of negativity in society. So outside of Canada, uh, Latin America and the Caribbean are among the most violent regions for women. In fact, in Guatemala, two women are murdered every day on average. India is said to be the most dangerous place to for women to live, and 20 women die on average every day due to femicide. Staggering. Again, it's something that before reading this blog post, I had absolutely no idea that the numbers were this intense. The fact that we have a prime minister who identifies as a feminist through and through, and for this to be ongoing and as serious as it is, I think that not enough attention is being paid to this, and I think that this is why it's important that we talk about these issues, talk about them so eloquently as we have been. I definitely agree with you. It also appears, another interesting thing about femicide is that it appears that different parts of the world have different driving factors for committing femicide and that gender-based violence and inequality is root- rooted in all areas of the world. Though so driving factors for femicide, honor-based killing, dowry killing, intimate partner violence, and the list goes on. So women who experience violence in certain parts of the world based on one part of their identity may not experience it on another. Again, it kind of speaks to the the complexity of intersecting identities and what more we could be doing to combat this issue. Yeah, there is no singular experience of femicide. It's experienced in all different ways all around the world, and it's important to understand the different ways that it's expressed. While we're focusing on some of the more serious sides of gender-based violence and gender inequality, I think it's important that we kind of discuss not only why this is occurring and what roots in society are causing it to happen. So I think this would be a good time for us to roll on to our next topic, which is gender inequality-based as well. So that brings us to our next topic, which was based on the blog post that was posted on the red.projecttoronto.org. This blog post discussed the Women's March on Toronto. We were lucky enough to be there. So we were actually boots on the ground in the middle of a snowstorm and we got to be a part of this. And I don't know about you, Natalie, but this was kind of my first experience at such a rally. And I think that to kind of see the scope and the scale, big group of like-minded people was just an awesome experience to be a part of. What do you think? I definitely agree with you. It was was also my first experience uh, participating in something like that. And I think from now on, I want to be a part of it every year. It was very empowering, uh, lots of enthusiasm. I think you were one of the most enthusiastic people marching there. <laughs> the drum circle was really getting us going, and I think that that was great encouragement as well. So on uh, on Saturday the 12th of January, we were uh, all gathered in Toronto's Nathan Phillips Square. The primary focus of the march was to protest cuts made by the Ford government, threatening issues surrounding gender inequality, poverty, and violence against women, all three of which are very important to us and what we're doing. So before the march, which took place from Nathan Phillips Square to Queen's Park. There were a number of female speakers who addressed the crowd. One of these individuals was City Councillor Kristen Wong-Tam. So Kristen, who is from Ward 3 in Toronto, has been a longtime advocate for human rights in the city of Toronto and abroad. One of the main focuses of her speech was to address the cuts made towards the Ontario Disability Program, the scrapping of the scheduled minimum wage increase, and the
and the cut to the paid sick days. As well, there was mention of the scrapping of the basic income pilot program. So again, I think this kind of shows the step backwards made by the Ford government, and I think that was a large reason for all of these people being there. The speakers were definitely very informative, and another thing she did talk about was the recent regression in the Ontario sexual ed curriculum and how that affects both males and females, but uh, that can very adversely affect females, especially when it comes to things like consent. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but are we not reverting to a similar curriculum from the year 1998? Unfortunately, yes. Unless we're Marty McFly, we're moving backwards in time as opposed to forward. Yes. So once again, kind of issues surrounding consent. So in the curriculum, reading further into this, the idea and concept of consent is not mentioned once. So to raise a generation of young boys and young girls without having a basic understanding of what consent means, I I think will only negatively affect and kind of reinforce those gender stereotypes that already exist. So if you'd like to know more about the changes to the Ontario health curriculum, you could always review back to episode two of the Red Dot Project, not to promote our direct competition, but... (laughs) So kind of back to, at least, I don't know, I can't speak for Natalie, but my experience attending the march, the entire process of making the signs, thinking about the right thing to say and kind of moving forward, taking the train down. And I was under the impression with so much hostility and anger around these issues because everyone has every right to be upset by what's happening and kind of going back in time. It was warm. It was inclusive. It was kind of just a cool thing to be a part of. So I don't know. What do you think, Natalie? Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. I feel like it was very inviting. Uh, There was a lot of enthusiasm and I wasn't nervous at all. I, I, was a nerv- I was nervous initially because I had never attended an event like this before, let alone held a sign and got to be part of it firsthand. But if this is something that you're interested in, I strongly advise you to go out and check it out. And it's definitely encouraged me to go back next year and do it again. Just to kind of have the opportunity to be an ally and kind of build. And I didn't really understand my position in the march until I was in it. So anybody who's thinking about or kind of hesitant about it, attending should just go for it you can't have a bad experience when you're around so much positivity if that's not too corny to say you know what isn't corny but incredibly empowering is the fact that on january 1st 2019 women of india brought in the new year by forming the largest protest of gender inequality so women joined arms along the country's western coast and there was between 3.5 and 5 million of these women making it the largest protest of gender inequality ever in history. can't even imagine a group of that many people coming together for anything, not to mention something so important. It's, it's very awesome to see the scale of what these women were trying to do. They definitely got their voices heard as a result. Uh, so the protest was to protest gender inequality, but specifically the recent ban as of last September from menstruating women entering the ancient Hindu temple, the Sabha Ramallah Shrine. However, there are many other temples in India that do not allow women to enter because of the belief that women of menstruating age could contaminate the temple. So right there is, I'm going to say, probably a pretty irrational fear to think that barring these women based on their menstrual cycle will have any effect on the temple whatsoever. Since the ban, there have been several women that have tried to enter the temple, but 
protesters have blocked the entrance. However, two women actually succeeded and were the first ones to enter the temple since the year-long ban. But immediately after they entered the temple, all hell broke loose and there was protests, stones were thrown, and the temple was immediately shut down for purification rituals. And if you go to our blog on our website, at red.projecttoronto.org, you can see a photo of the irrational-looking gentlemen who were barring these women from entering a religious temple. Apparently, there was also a lot of men that turned out to this protest as well and participated, which also shows the gradual awakening of gender inequality within India as well, which I think is really good. For any movement, whether it's gender-based or not, to be involved as an ally and to understand your role in the protest is, is important. And I think that even in a protest regarding gender identity issues, I think that both men and women can, can have an effective role. But 3.5 million people, though, just to, I, don't e- I couldn't even imagine what that looks like. Were they visible from space? If it was a 385-mile wall, like they say, I'm sure they were. It's a human Great Wall of China. (laughs) So this episode's GWTF Trailblazer Award goes to Kendall Kanye Schofield, an Olympic gold medalist who you might recognize from the NHL skills competition during this most recent All-Star break. She definitely has some skills to spare, finishing within one second of Newmarket's own Connor McDavid who some may say is the best hockey player on the planet right now. Um, I could, I beg to differ. I might think that she has, a, she might have a chance at that now. With a time of 14.346, that's pretty impressive. She's fast as hell. And she's also uh, the U.S. women's national team forward as well. Incredible. For her to come on last minute and post such an incredible time is uh I think hopefully opens the door for more female athletes to enter into the NHL spotlight during the All-Star break. So here's to you, Kendall. Oh, look at the time. We gotta go. But if you like what you're listening to, I encourage you to rate and subscribe to the Red Dot Project. And if you want to listen to us every other week, That's where you can find us. Remember to like and subscribe. This is Going With The Flow, the podcast which recaps our blog. And our blog, once again, can be found at red.projecttoronto.org. And if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast, Red.Project, which can be found wherever quality podcasts are found. Thank you.